0: Father, uh, Lord, we do thank you. God, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you that we can be here today lifting up our hearts to you. And God, I thank you for men and women who write songs that, Lord, that just lift us up to you. I thank you for talented men and women who can lead us in that place where, Lord, we can just come right in boldly into your throne room and and worship you. And we want to continue that attitude as we get into your word. So, God, I pray that you would bless this time. I pray, Lord, that as we read and and look at what what was said to that church that was kind of struggling, had difficulties, Lord, I pray that it would impact our personal lives, that Lord, we could take away from this truce and we could take away uh, uh, just your heart for our heart and that we could walk closely with you. So Lord, bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we think about uh, getting into the book of Hebrews, obviously, you know, Jesus is our anchor. We're gonna kind of focus on that. But even more importantly, we wanna really look at the fact that, uh, that Jesus is supreme over everything. And that's basically the book of Hebrews. The author is gonna spend a lot of time pushing us kind of in that direction of thinking about how magnificent our Savior is and how great he is. So we'll be looking at that as we go, and hopefully we'll catch a, a, just a larger picture of who our God is and what he's done for us. Now, having said that, the interesting thing is we cannot know God unless God reveals himself to us. There's the natural world that we live in, and there's the supernatural world. And it's kind of like we're in a box. We're in this box called natural, and we can't get into the supernatural. Now, religions try and tell you, yeah, you can claw, you can fight your way, you can make it, you just got to work at it and get there, and, and that's all false. Christianity tells us that one came and invaded our box, so to speak, invaded our world to reveal God to us. And that we can know God because he's chosen to reveal himself. Now, God has revealed himself throughout history of humanity. From the very beginning, he began, even with Adam, all the way through, and we'll talk about that some. But I want us to think about what a great God we have that he chooses to reveal himself to us, that he wants to show who he is. So the book of Hebrews uh, starts out with this one word God and I kinda like that. That's how it begins and that's how uh, Genesis begins. There's no defense, there's no explanation, there's no trying to convince, there's just fact. So keep that in mind as we go through this. Now, I wanna do a little bit of background. I know some people don't like, they don't like the introduction and the background and all of that, so you can go to sleep We'll wake you up in about 10, 15 minutes, and and you can join us again. A little bit of background. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? That's always the big question, because usually when you study a book, one of the the different ones, you kind of want to know who wrote it, because it gives you a better idea of what's going on. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? Don't know. Oh, there's lots of arguments. There's the big one. The whole, there's this one camp man, Paul wrote it, they're the diehards, they're gonna dig in. We know that Paul wrote it, he had to have written it, and uh, we don't have proof of that. And so I'm gonna give you different theories, and I'm not gonna tell, well, I will tell you my opinion. My opinion is we don't know. And, you know, I think that's obvious because I think it doesn't tell us who wrote it. Well, I do know who wrote it God right, the first word, but so there's the Paul people and they say, oh, look at it, and you know, look at, it follows the same pattern that Paul uses in his other letters, you know, where he gives doctrine, then he gives practical application and he does that. Well, you know what, so does Peter in his letters and et cetera, so I'm not sure that's a great argument, but the diehards, listen, the, the one thing that people say is it's a totally different way of, in the Greek, and I'm not a Greek expert, I'm not a Greek scholar, I don't even, I'm not even close. So the experts in Greek say the whole style of writing is different than Paul's. Paul is more forthright, this is more, you know, the flowing Greek, etc. and again, I gotta take their word for it. So here's what the hardcore Paul people do. They say, well, Paul wrote it, and we're gonna learn in a minute, it was written to Hebrew Christians. So Paul wrote it in Hebrew, To the Hebrew Christians, Luke, who was Gentile and Greek, he translated into Greek for for everyone else. Now, hey, maybe that happened. I don't know. We'd get to heaven and find out. But there's those. Then, Then there's some who are convinced that Barnabas wrote it because Barnabas was a Levite. Barnabas was skilled in things, and they want to say that he wrote it. Some say Apollos wrote it. And uh, I think that's uh, Martin Luther's kind of stand. He believed Apollos wrote it and uh, put that doctrine out there, and that's out there. Now, one of my favorite theories is that Peter wrote it, which I think that's real, like stretching it. But the best one of all is that Aquila and Priscilla wrote it. Hey, maybe they did. And then they say, and Priscilla had the upper hand because it's written that way. I don't know. So there's some theories. You guys can choose and you can, here's the thing though I'm gonna encourage you, do not be dogmatic. Don't be, the only thing you can be dogmatic about is we don't know. But don't fight and bicker and and probably you will catch me saying as we're doing a study, well, Paul said in this epistle, you'll probably catch me saying that because that's just the the thinking. I'll try and say the author. So who is he writing to? I think that's where we can really learn and glean from the book of Hebrews. He was writing, I believe, obviously, he's writing to some Hebrew Christians. Remember the early church. The very first church was mostly Christians and a few Gentiles sprinkled in. Now today, in America, in Sierra Vista, I don't, we're, we're almost all, do we have any, any Jewish believers in here? We gotta work on it. Oh, back there? The guy raising his hand is bogus, so I just thought I'd tell you all that. Okay, so, thank you. So anyway, we, we don't have very many, we got one fraudulent kind of person. No, we don't have very many Jewish believers, right? It's almost all Gentile. In early church, it would have been just the opposite, like one Gentile would have raised their hand. So he's writing to Hebrew Christians, but the important thing I think, and if you do the study and look, I think he's writing to some Hebrew Christians that are in Rome. And I think he wrote it early 60s, not 1960s, early 60s, maybe towards the mid, I don't think it was quite the mid, Maybe it was after, if you remember, in 64 AD, there was a heavy fire in Rome, and that's when Nero started his heavy persecution of the church, blamed it all, pushed all of the spotlight on the church instead of on himself, and all of that began. It could have been after that. I'm not sure of that. I think it was right prior to that, and the author is preparing them for that. But we do have you know, we do have that, that whole idea. So he's writing to these Hebrew Christians who are kind of tucked away there in Rome. Now, they've already gone undergone persecution. They've undergone persecution because they denied uh, Judaism. When you came to Christ, you didn't, you didn't bring Judaism with you. Go study the book of Acts. You walked away from that and you began following Jesus. And as they did that, they would be ostracized from their community. And we talked about that when we we're looking at Ephesians and all of the stuff that would go on in their lives. So listen, man, these people are struggling and they're having a difficult time. And, and I like to think of it this way, right when he's writing it, according to the way I look at Hebrews, their world was coming undone. They were struggling. There was chaos, there was confusion, There was was a bunch of stuff, some control stuff going on. Kind of sound familiar? Hey, very appropriate book to study at this time. All of that stuff was going on, and the Christians, the believers were beginning to kind of, some of them were beginning to drift because of all of the heaviness and all of the stuff that is going on. So the author said, man, I got to write these guys, and I got to get them on the right track. Now, a lot of people do not read Hebrews because there's some warning passages in Hebrews, five of them. And I hear people say, I don't read Hebrews because I don't like the warning passages. That's not a good reason, and that's not wise. Listen, the warning passages are there because God loves us and because God cares for us and because God wants to encourage us, not because God wants to get us. So you gotta remember that, and we'll we'll deal with those as we come to them. So, written around 60, mid-60s, early 60s, uh, written by we don't know who, written to a group whose world is in conflict and, and they can't figure things out. And, and so as we have that backdrop, now we can dig in and start looking at this. And, and as I said, it begins with, God, right? God, in verse 1, chapter 1, it says, God who spoke at various times in various ways, spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, but has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Listen, man, this is so powerful. What I love about this is he's letting us know something that I think is extremely important. Christian, you cannot put God in a box, You cannot say this is how God does things and he begins, this author begins to me right away hitting that because here's what he says, in times past God spoke in various times and from that here's what we need to understand. The revelation of who God is, of us getting a picture of who God is is progressive. It begins early on and there's some revelation, then a little bit more revelation, then a little bit more revelation, and it progresses until it gets to the Son, who is the final revelation of who God is. So again, there's, we need to understand that all of the Old Testament, and, we, and we'll look at that, it was, it was sort of for them for us, incomplete. So God revealed himself progressively, but here's what I love. He did it various times, And then I love this. He did it in a whole bunch of different ways. I like the idea, I kinda think it's kinda cool when, when we can't put God in a box, and I know some of us, we, we really, really, really want to, but you can't do it. You can't stick him in a box. Now, I wrote down some of the ways that God has, has revealed himself, and number one, he takes the initiative and do that, but let's think about, he spoke to Moses in a burning bush, right? spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. He spoke to Isaiah through a vision. Are you kind of getting my point how he does it. He spoke to Hosea. Think about how he spoke to Hosea. Through a family, and we'll leave it at that, right? Through family chaos, he spoke to Hosea. And one of my favorites is he spoke to Amos with a basket of figs. So God speaks, listen, he does a variety. We can't, we can't stick God in a box and say, here's how he does things. He does it differently. And then even, even as he reveals himself in the revelation, is sometimes the revelation is direct, sometimes it's through dreams, sometimes it's through vision, but all of it is God revealing himself. And then when you think of those who got the revelation, he says various ways. How did they, did every prophet speak the same? Did every person give that, whatever they got from God the same way? Listen to the different ways. I love this part. It says, listen, Amos, and I'm just gonna talk about prophets. Amos gave direct oracles from God. Amos said, thus says the Lord, right? Malachi did questions and answers, have you, have you read Malachi lately? Malachi always asked a question. You say, and, and you ask and do this, and then he would give the answer. And then you have my favorite of all time, Ezekiel, right? Ezekiel was the first one to do drama in church, right? His was, he had a tremendous drama ministry, and, and uh, uh, all of the things he did, everything was like that. And then you have Haggai, and Haggai was a preacher. Haggai preached, and then Zechariah, how did he communicate? Through some pretty bizarre, listen, and mysterious uh, visions and things that he said. So are you getting the point? They're not all the same. And even the prophets, according to Peter, even the prophets, listen to what Peter says about these guys. Even they, it says, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So once again, it wasn't original with them. So he tells us God, who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to the Father's through, by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Now here's what I love, is God chose to invade our world. The speaking through prophets is one thing. The telling of something is one thing. But to come and demonstrate and be in the midst is a whole different thing. And I love the last days. Listen, I think we can interpret that a couple different ways. One way is that we're in the last days. And I know, listen, I'm not, I'm not like wanting to freak you out, but we're in the last days. The last days started when, when uh, Jesus was uh, resurrected and we've been in the last days ever since. Now, I think we're further along in the last days than they were in the first century, but we're in the last days. I'm not saying we're in the last, last days, but we're in the last days. So you can look at it in these last days he came, but also you can look at it this way. The last revelation of God was through his son. And here's what I mean by that. We're not gonna add anything else to this. We had progressive revelation, as I said, up to the point till the son came. Then the revelation stopped. Jesus gave us the complete revelation of God. We don't need anything else. We don't need anybody's help. We don't need to do it. So we need to understand that. That revelation came with him. And according to the author of Hebrews, that was it now Listen when he talks about his son in verse two he says he's spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds now when he talks about him being an heir he's talking about the position of authority Jesus is in authority and when he says heir he's saying listen he has that place, that position of authority, and I think he got it in two different ways. First of all, he says here that he created all things. He made all things. Jesus made the things. That gives him authority over it, and then also later on we're going to read that he purged sin. He saved us. He saved, so that gives him authority, so he has that authority over us, and then the fact that everything that's been made whether we look in John, whether we look in Hebrews, whether we look in, in Colossians, everything that has been made in this world was made through Christ. Do you ever stop and meditate on that? Do you ever stop and just think about that and how wonderful that is? He is the one who created. He was there in creation. And you and I need to get a hold of that man, and we need to let that burn deeply in our hearts. All of the things do you know how big our universe is? It's huge. I did, I did some study. Let me read you a couple of things. These are some crazy things. Our galaxy is about 600 trillion miles across. Now, that's hard to imagine, isn't it? It's 600 trillion miles across or 100,000 light years. Well, that cleared it right up. That made it very clear. And that ours, check this out. Ours is one of some hundred thousand galaxies ours is that big and it's part of hundred thousand more this huge space is big right some of you are like you don't care it's all right oh by the way if you fell asleep wake up But if you don't like this part, you can go back to sleep and we'll wake you up again in a minute. Then, some estimate that the most distant galaxy, check this out, is eight billion light years away, racing away from us at 200 million miles an hour. Listen, Jesus made that. Are you understanding that? That to me is like mind-boggling. And then, uh, here's a little bit more because I know some of you might like this. Some of you don't care. If you could somehow put 1.2 million earths inside the sun you would still have room for 4.3 million moons that's how big the sun is i mean it's, you know you just i just think of these things and i think woo, i know the one who made it all actually i'm really close to the one who made it all oh it gets better The sun is 865,000 miles in diameter and it's 93 million miles from earth. Our next nearest star is five times larger than our sun. And then the moon is only 211,463 miles away. Now check this out. You could walk to it in 27 years. So start walking. That just, that kind of, that blew my mind. I've never thought of walking to the moon. And it would only take 27 years. I think that's kind of interesting. So you have that. So that kind of shrinks it and brings it in. And then to reach Pluto, I know Pluto got deplaneted. Is that a correct term? Oh, it's back? It got replaneted? It's back? oh poor Pluto. (laughs) I bet you Pluto has this like, this, yeah, this little bit of a complex. (laughs) Anyway, Pluto is 2.7 billion miles from earth, and it would take us about four hours to reach it, uh, traveling at the speed of light, on and on. So you, you have that stuff. Now listen, Jesus made that, and we need to understand that. And we're going to read in a little bit and he holds it all together. He keeps all of that together. Wow. Now, here's the part I like. I like to think about our planet. There's a great, I don't know if it's still around, there was a documentary out a few years ago called Privileged Planet. And it's not by Christians. These are by just some scientists that that did some stuff and it blew them away. I am convinced there is no way all of this happened by accident. Just reading that, It just happened by accident. Well, here's one guy. Here's this guy. I don't know this guy. Maybe some of you do. Sir John Eccles. He's a Nobel laureate in neurophysiology. He's got, I bet you he's got letters behind his name forever. But listen to what he said. Here's what he said. That the odds against the right combination of circumstances occurring to have, a, a, to, to have evolved intelligent life. He's not just talking about all of that. He's just talking about life. The odds of that happening on earth are highly improbable. But then he went on to say that he believed it did occur. That blows my mind. It's like, don't confuse me with the facts, right? So the earth, let's talk about the earth just for a minute and then I'll wake the rest of you up, those of you who are still with me. So the sun, the temperature of the sun, 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot, huh? If the sun were any closer to us, we would burn up. If it was any further away, we would freeze. Now, how did that happen? How did it happen? It got there just perfect, just right. And then the earth's tilt, right? Most of us know, remember, it's tilted. The earth is tilted on its axis. Listen to this. If it were not tilted the way it is, vapors from the ocean would move north and south and develop into uh, monstrous continents of ice. So things would just freeze over if it wasn't tilted dis- just right. If the moon did not stay the right distance, that 27 years of walking distance, if it didn't stay just like that, check this out the ocean tide would inundate. The whole earth, or all of the landmass, completely twice a day. After the first one, it wouldn't be a worry, right? Because everybody's gone. But I mean, all of those things, and and I think of those things. If the ocean floor was any deeper or any shallower, our our balance of carbon dioxide and oxygen would not work out, and we couldn't exist. All of that just happened. No, He created everything. Perfectly. And so, listen, man, we have all of that. And so, the author of Hebrews puts it this way instead of all those statistics, here's what he says once again He says, and he's the heir of all things through whom he made all the worlds. And that's kind of it. It's like, poof. Oh, by the way, that word for worlds can also be translated uh, that he also made all the ages. Do you know that all of history is marching along according to God's plan? That God has a perfect plan and he's working his plan and there's no, "oops," there's no, oh no. God is looking at everything going on in our world right now. It's according to his plan. I particularly don't like that plan at this moment. But you know what, God has never called me up. He's never called up and said, hey Pat, what do you think? I'm gonna do this little virus thing. What do you think, should I do it, shouldn't I? You gotta understand it's according to his plan. So he not only created all of that vastness we talked about, he created each and every age and every moment that we're going through. So then he says this, it gets even better when we're talking about Jesus, who is the brightness of his glory. He's the brightness of God. Listen, some of your translations might say he reflects the glory. No. No. He doesn't reflect the glory. Bottom line, he is the glory. And instead of that, he radiates the glory. Like the sun radiates its heat and radiates its light, the moon reflects the sun and, and... doesn't radiate anything, the sun radiates. In other words, it's oozing out of him. Didn't Jesus say himself that he was the light of the world, right? In John chapter eight, I'm the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. So we need to understand, listen, when he says he's the brightness of his glory, he's talking about about Jesus emanating all of who God is, not just with what he says, but with who he is And the fact that he's here. I want to quote an old dead guy quoting another older dead guy. So we're going two old dead guys back, right? You guys know I like the old dead guys because they finished well. So listen to this. The moon receives its light from the sun and simply reflects the light beams to the earth. The moon itself does not possess or emanate light because it does not produce light. The sun is a heavenly body, radiates its light in all of its brightness and power to the earth. By way of comparison, we may see Christ as a radiant light coming from the Father as sunlight emanates from the sun. How well put, man. And listen, man, that's our Savior. And not only, listen, not only is he that, he goes on to say, he says, listen, he's the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. If you wanna see the Father, look at the Son, right? Didn't Jesus say something like that? Didn't he say in John chapter 14? I love John chapter 14. I love that whole thing because, hey, those guys were flipping out. They were freaked out. If you read John chapter 13, they're like, woo! We made a bad decision, and Jesus is like trying to calm them. And in the beginning of that chapter, remember what he says? Hey, boys, don't let your heart be troubled. Chill out. It's going to be okay. Because I'm going to go make a way for you. I'm going to go make a mansion. And if I'm going to go, I'm going to come back. So you guys just like, it's okay. And then I love Thomas. Thomas is, excuse me, Jesus. uh, Because Jesus said, you know the way. And Tommy goes, I don't know the way. I know you said I knew the way, but I don't know the way. Remember that scene? And and Jesus says, Tommy, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and you know the Father. And then Philip goes, excuse me. I love those guys, man, they're so real. Uh, The Father, you're kind of confusing us, right? And he's kind of mixed up, like Jesus, I really don't know what you're talking about. And here's what Jesus says to Philip, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me, listen, has seen the Father, how can you say, show us the Father? He says, Philip, look, again, once again, radiating and the exact image of the Father. Oh, the author, Paul, in, in Colossians says this. He's the exact reputation of the very substance of God. That's who Jesus is. That's what's going on here. So get this picture. You're struggling. Your world is kind of, you know, you've got two worlds colliding. Things seem to be coming undone. And all of a sudden, you pick up this letter, and you start reading this letter to you, and it starts off with God. And then it tells you this, God revealed himself to you. We can just sum all that up. God chose to reveal himself to us through the prophets because they were Hebrews, and then also through his son in these last days. By the way, his son created everything. He made everything that exists and he's in control of everything. Oh, and this son radiates the glory of God and radiates God to you and he's the exact uh, representation. So you know what? Chill out. It's going to be okay. That's what's going on in our world. I don't care how crazy it gets, I don't care how mixed up it gets. Keep your focus on Jesus. We need Jesus classes. You know what I'm talking about? Look through the world through the lens of Christ. So, oh, it gets even better. Listen, now Now he gets to my favorite part. He says he, he, he's the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Listen, Jesus has got everything. To, I look at it this way. All of everything, that vast universe that we talked about, down to us and our very people, he's holding us together. I think if it wasn't for Jesus, we would do this. And we just explode, personally and globally, and uh, the the whole universe, everything. He keeps it together. There used to be the picture. I don't know if that's a big picture anymore, right? When when when. Atlas was carrying the world on his back, right? That's not what's being, it's not talking about him carrying, it's talking about he holds it together. He keeps it together. Hey, you think the world's coming undone? My Bible says Jesus is holding it together. So I'm gonna believe my Bible, right? He's got it together and he's holding it. And then, listen, then he tells us this. He says he's holding it together by the power of his word when he himself Purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. When Jesus purged our sins, not only is he all of everything that we read, the best news is he took our sins away. Wow. We kind of sang a couple songs about that this morning, didn't we? I am redeemed. Are you? If you are, he purged your sins. This one, think about the one who did all of that, became that baby in a manger that it was one of the lines in a song, became and, and grew and then lived that sinless life so he could take our sin and purge it away from us. I read that, here's the whole thing, man. I read these first three verses in, in Hebrews and I'm like, woo! How could you not want to read the book of Hebrews after you read that? And how he purged our sins? He took them all away. And then I love this thing. He says, then when he, after he had done that, what did he do? It says this, listen, it says, after he had done that, that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What is implied in that? Why would the author of Hebrews bring that up? Well, number one, if you've ever looked at or when you're reading, looked in your mind, the whole idea of the tabernacle and then later on the temple, there's one thing missing in both of those. There's every detail, you got candlesticks, you got tent pegs, you got pomegranates on the end of little bells, right? All of those details, but there's something really obviously missing. No chairs. The priests were never to sit down. They were never to rest. Their work was never done because they had to continually offer sins for the people. It wasn't finished. Only the son could say on the cross, it is finished. Only the son could sit down at the right hand of majesty. So I think number one, that represents it's done. Number two, it represents where He sitted, right? Where he's sitted? That's a new word, write that down. It's showing us, and where did he sit? Where did he sit? Where did he sit? He sat at the right hand of the Father. What does that tell us? Authority, power. And then this is my favorite thing about that. He sat down at the right hand of the Father so he could whisper in the Father's ear, that's okay. He ever lives to make intercession for us, doesn't he? And Satan is out, out there going, Oh, did you see what Pat did this morning on the way to church? Not good. God and He calls himself a pastor. And he thinks he's a pastor. And Satan is just accusing me, and Jesus is at the right, sitting right there, and he's going, He's okay. He's one of mine. I got him. Yes, that's so good, right? He's at the right hand. We need we need to understand that's our God, and that's Jesus. So How could you not want to read this book? How could you not begin to understand how great our salvation is? Now, listen, I want to read one more thing, and uh, I know I did a lot of notes and reading today, but I I want you to think about, we just got a picture of this glorious, glorious Savior that we have. Now, let's look at how he's portrayed in the Word. Listen to this. He was born contrary to the laws of nature. He lived in poverty, was reared in obscurity, and only once did he ever cross the boundary of the land in which he was born, and that in his childhood. So think about that, that's pretty crazy, right? He had no wealth or influence, And had neither training nor education in the world's schools. His relatives were inconspicuous and not influential in infancy. He startled a king. In boyhood, he puzzled the learned doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon upon the billows and he hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine. He made no charge for his services. He never wrote a book. Yet all the libraries of the world could not hold the books about him. He never wrote a song, but uh, he never wrote a song, uh, but yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters put together. He never founded a college, yet schools, yet all the schools together cannot boast of as many students as he has. He never practiced medicine, and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all of the doctors have healed broken bodies. This Jesus Christ is the star of astronomy, the rock of geology, the lion and the lamb of zoology, the fill in the blank. That's our God. And hey, that's this one. How could you not want to know him and worship him? That's the question. He is the anchor for our souls. Hallelujah, huh? Let's stand up and pray. Father, as we think about your word and think about what we read here this morning, God, I thank you. I thank you that you choose to reveal yourself to us through your word, through your son. I thank you that we have a complete revelation of who you are, that, God, you're not hiding in some corner of this vast, vast universe that we talked about. You're not so far away that we can't can't reach you, God, that you reached into our world and invaded our world, and I thank you for that. Most of all, I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, as we're going to read through Hebrews, that washes and cleanses and purifies us. Lord, we are a blessed people, those who know you. And God, we want to glorify you. We we don't wanna be people who are going around kicking the dirt and we're upset and we're mad and we're angry and we're looking at things and we're disgruntled. We wanna be people who, man, we're Jesus people. And we're letting the world know how great our God is and how good our God is. We'll tell the world that, hey, man, God made you, you need to know him. So use us at this time, Lord, I pray. I pray that as I've been praying since we got back together, that we would be the light in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the darkness. And I'm going to ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more moments. And if you are here this morning, and you don't know this one we just talked about, this glorious Savior, today is the day of salvation. Right now is the time to make that decision and we wanna give you that opportunity, and we wanna open up that that opportunity for you. Here's the good news. The good news is, we just read, he purged us from our sins. The bad news is, you're a sinner. Every single person who's ever lived has sinned against God. That's a fact. The wages of sin is separation from God. That's a fact. The good news is Jesus Christ came and He purged your sin. He took your place and all you have to do is believe Him. All you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I believe you died for my sin. And He will come into your life and change you. So if you want to do that, I'm going to say a prayer. Those at home watching, if you're at home and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can say this prayer. You don't have to be in this building. You can say it if you're backslidden today and you decided right now is a good time to come back to church to check things out, say this prayer with us. And again, you can say it out loud, you can say it silently. Volume doesn't matter, but the sincerity of your heart does. So say this prayer, Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. God, I'm sorry that I sinned against you. I'm sorry that my sin has offended a holy God. Right now, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me today. Thank you for your forgiveness. And right now, I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. Today I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.